Right up. I am now recording locally. Gay men's car. All right now, when I when I count when I count to uh, John McClane saying obvious wrong buzzer noise, please snap or clap. Three, two, one. All right. Beautiful. All right. I just I just dive straight into it. Now I have a machine gun. the podcast that hates you back not well there's your problem but the other one hello and welcome to a special holiday episode of kill james bond and we're in a bad mood it's listeners. the bad mood podcast it's the podcast that's upset with you i'm actually that's doing right. great we're upset with you personally <laughs> i'm having a lovely time thus far um why are we upset don't text us <laughs> and also do text us text us more you haven't been texting us enough. You haven't That's been texting right. us the correct amount. <laughs> we're, oh. we're, all, we're all annoyed by various things, apart from Devon, who is fine. I'm doing uh, fine. But we got together to record Die Hard, because, uh, because the most tedious people in the world, right, will go, oh, do you know Die Hard? is a Christmas movie. You ever think about how Die Hard is a Christmas movie? My favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. And so... And then everyone under the age of about 40 goes, what the fuck is Die Hard? That came out in 1980-something. <laughs> First of all, how dare you? Yeah, the thing, about, the thing about this is that Die Hard, whether or not it's a Christmas movie, I, I have absolutely no fucking interest in litigating whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Uh, hmm. It's a movie that takes place at Christmas, and they mention Christmas a number of times. I don't know if that makes it a yep. Christmas movie. Uh, greater thinkers than I have considered this. But what I do know to be a fact is if you ask someone what their favourite Christmas movie is and they go, oh, it's actually Die Hard, you can kill them with a gun and it's mm, legal. That's true, yeah. that's true. It's, that's legal, that's legal. I mean, my first note here in my big notebook for these is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Fuck you. I <laughs> don't you. care. Like, not, not, not to get to, like, um, fucking Cahier du Cinema here, but, like, you and the movie are in a sort of, like, collaborative process of constructing meaning, right? And you've it done it wrong, Christmas you suck, movie. fuck you! <laughs> it can be a Christmas movie if you, if you, like, approach it as that. I don't think that's a particularly interesting lens through which to view it, so to speak. Um, but, like, yeah, you, you can make it a Christmas movie. My Christmas movie has fuck all to do with Christmas. Uh, like, whenever it was Christmas, my family and I would watch The Great Escape, which is kind of a downer. Like, Steve McQueen diving headfirst into barbed wire is not very sort of seasonal, and yet it persists as tradition. So, the one thing that Die Hard is, though, is a good movie. And if you're looking for an excuse to watch it, fine. Fine, I can think of worse. Mm. Yeah, to be fair, it, it is well made, yeah. It was, it, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the other problem about Die Hard for me is that it's also a movie about which people have like written quite seriously and in depth. And so me as Alice Analysis, right, I'm quite happy in sort of like the, the small tide pools of The Man from Uncle or James Bond, where people don't like and they interrogate them, they're not like movie by movie like that. Um whereas here, I'm like, oh shit. 
fuck, I'm going to have to say things about this movie that other people have said things about, and then people can go and look and compare, and re- they're going to realize, I don't know what I'm fucking talking yeah, about. Yeah, but as I explained so, to Alice in, in the pre-show matter, this show is slop for hogs. Like, <laughs> people who have serious opinions about film don't listen to this podcast. You listen to this podcast <laughs> but to hear us talk about cum and, like, do, do bits and, and jokes about the vault and stuff. Like, uh, yeah. People have been thinking about Die oh, Hard. Boy, d- People have been writing about Die Hard for quite some time. And, like, there are better thinkers than I out there. But thinkers, I think all the fucking time. <laughs> and I'm dumb as shit. Yeah. Like, this is meaningless. <laughs> is I tell you what, though. Hans Gruber, Hans Gruber is a man who wants to get in the vault. He really he wants love to, to get, get in the, the vault. There's vault. a good vault in this film. Yeah. What kind of right. the fucking vault zone, actually? <laughs> It's it's Christmas Eve. It's Los Angeles. John McClane, New York Police Department detective, is on a plane, and the first shot we get of him is him sort of like clenching the armrests because he's nervous, mm. which I like. Um, and it, the guy next to him gives him this like uh, sort of like self help tip: if you're nervous about flying, you should uh, like once you get where you're going, you take off your shoes and your socks, and you make fists with your toes. Uh, and this will like help you not be anxious or whatever. Well, like get over jet lag um, or whatever it is. They feel refreshed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he has a mm-hmm. gun on the plane and he smokes in the airport. Does? The 1980s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes, don't worry about it. Very much the 1980s. I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a shot like 10 minutes later where a heavily pregnant woman is like, I can have a glass of champagne, right? And her boss goes, yeah, it's fine. So it's yeah, a different 100%. time. 1988, this was. Um, and I, I have a theory that this will come back to. Um, First, we go to, to Nakatomi right Towers, right? Which is which mm-hmm. is a big uh, like skyscraper across town. Uh, it's like a Japanese corporation. They were doing Rising Sun shit. John's yeah. wife separated. Uh, Holly is there. Uh, she gets hit on by this by this Chad called Ellis. Um, and she's Ellis, like, she's Ellis, Ellis isn't a Chad though. That's the he's thing. Ellis thinks he's a Chad. He looks like a Chad. Meme. Like he's like big and jacked and has a beard. Like. But he's he's ridiculous all the time because this movie is uh, sort of like uh, every bad guy in this movie, apart from the main one, is a different vision of like dipshit masculinity that you don't want to emulate. That's right. And so Ellis is like Ellis is a yuppie more than he's a Chad. Um, he's he's like one of those guys who watches American Psycho religiously now, imagines themselves being. Yeah, Ellis um, is a, like a deals genius. That's his his thing. He's also yes, one of those kind yeah. of guys that looks like fundamentally wrong with a beard. Mm. I don't know what it is about him. It mm-hmm. just doesn't sit right on his face. He's like the opposite of Jonathan Frakes. Mm. Yeah, some guys, you yeah. grow a beard and it's like, spawn, perfect. Mm-hmm. But this guy's like, get rid of it, man. Get some stubble, um, maybe. Meanwhile, mm. after John's finished his nice cigarette and uh, playing with his gun in an airport, um, he's on mm, his way out. Uh, a blonde woman runs past him and he turns to ogle her, man after my own heart, I know to say. Um, <laughs> he meets a guy called Argyle, who's his limo driver. Nakatomi Plaza have sent him a limo to bring him to the Christmas party. Yes. Argyle. And guy. We, we establish some proletarian credentials, right? Because, yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, he, he says, I've, I, like Argyle says, I've never driven a limo before. And John McClane says, well, that's all right, I've never ridden in one before. And the next shot is them riding, him riding up front in the limo. It's yeah. so funny that he to... is up front. It's so good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. And it's- this this tells you two things about John McClane, mm-hmm. right? Because another key fact here is that Argyle is black. There are a lot of black characters in this movie. It's something that's like quite positive about it. This tells you John McClane is 
of a like working class background, and he's not racist. Mm -hmm. And these Despite are advancing being a police to officer. sort of like in New yes, York City of all places. Mm. He's the mm -hmm. one. He's the he's, one. He, <laughs> he's he is, the good cop. He is a blue collar. He's a blue collar cop, which is a, a sort of like increasingly economically implausible archetype. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's not racist, which is again sort of like. Laughable. This is a combination that it's setting out. Um, um, so, so Argyle pretty quickly like susses out John's deal, and he's like, "Oh, you're here to see your wife. You're yes. separated. Like, she moved out here for your career. John didn't support her." Um, there's this like, mm -hmm. there's this line where Argyle's trying to figure out why John like, let her go, and Argyle makes a joke out of the fact that she might have been abusive, which I like felt quite yeah, uncomfortable yeah, I wrote about. that down. Yeah, aged poorly, certainly. Um, but anyway, they get to the Nakatomi building, and Argyle's like, "Well, look, man. Obviously, what you want to do is run in there and like." You know, kiss your wife and all, and make up and everything because you've not seen her in six months. But I tell you what, I'll hang out in the parking garage. If it goes wrong, give me a call, then I'll find your hotel. It's so nice of them. Like, true, yeah, true, it's nice. And you, you, they've like established a like uh, a, a rapport on the on the drive over there, which is mm -hmm. good. Um, so he goes in, and uh, the 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 office of Nakatomi Plaza, the, the like the foyer is like very sort of like brushed marble sort of thing. Yeah, they're doing um, rising sun and, shit. Like they've even got a they've got a computer yeah. in the lobby, which is scary and gay and ethnic. <laughs> and the computer gay. is also a reminder that, like, hey, you're about to get divorced, brother. Oh yeah. Because he searches for his his mm -hmm. wife on the computer, and she only comes up under her maiden name, mm -hmm. Gennaro, Holly Gennaro, instead of Holly McLean, uh, because feminism and like sort of corporate uh, corporate bureaucracy. Have like interceded between this this blue collar cop and his they wife. Took the kids. Um, they took everything from me. They took my family. <laughs> I don't. I don't it's, have. It's that a very. <laughs> it's, it's a very neat sort of little like emasculation of John in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Holly's not but, with him anymore because because he keeps posting transphobia on the internet. Um, it's at this point <laughs> that I noticed and wrote down something quite interesting about Bruce hmm. Willis, which you wouldn't really see in a protagonist in a male lead actor these days, which is that he's balding. Hmm. And I'm like, yes. oh, that's. It used to be acceptable in the 1980s for for men to just kind of naturally go bald as men do. Um, which, by the way, listeners, is fine. Um, however, these days you you will very rarely see it in a leading man. Um, but also at the time this film came out, Bruce Willis wasn't the kind of action star that we know him to be now. This was at the time. He was a comedy guy. Yeah, this was deliberately mm -hmm. like quite unusual casting. People were like, what Bruce Willis, the guy from from Death Becomes Her, is going to be. That kind of iconic trans film, which we'll have to watch at some point. Um, he's going to be in this action film. I don't believe it. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe that's part of because it. Because there was there was an eighties view of what an action hero looked like. Yes, and that was uh, you know it was Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. or it was Sylvester Stallone, two guys which this movie independently makes fun of. Yeah, uh, and and Bruce Willis is sort of he's like, buff in this, but he's not like unattainably buff. Like he's about as buff as Dev uh, is normally. Thank you immensely. First of all, um, I, I wrote that down. I was like, "This guy's not like that much larger than mm. me." This to be it mm. to be an action hero. But there's something else about him that I that I really appreciate, and that he's just got like this sort of general sense of good natured confusion about him. Yes, like every time something happens to him, he just like smokes himself, and he's like, "All right then, California." And I it's question just... whether it's good natured because what we immediately we immediately we're, see we're some homophobia. To, yes. Yes, we do. But well, this is this a, I really want to focus on this. We, we he gets up to the party because they're having an office Christmas party. This is where uh, like Ellis is like sort of hissing on on John's wife, um, and he runs into a guy who like says, 
happy, like Merry Christmas or whatever, kisses him on the cheek, and he sort of like smiles and shakes his head and goes like, "Jesus, fucking California," and it is homophobic. It's unarguably homophobic. However, it, the idea is like I think the movie is trying to get you to like him somewhat successfully by making him like smile and shake his head and sort of like go, "Wow, okay, whatever." That like that you can argue about how much malice there is in that. But for 1988, that's like remarkably tolerant. I find it to be almost um, completely maliceless because this is the exact same response he has to the last like running past him in the airport to hug her boyfriend. Like he's just mm-hmm. sort of got this general sense that this is like what California's like. The people, yeah, people show affection openly. Yeah. Whereas they don't do it. I didn't even pick up the homophobia to it. I just thought it was like, people be affectionate over here, I guess. It's homophobic in the sense of like, Mm. in the sense that the movie put it in there to convey California as a place where this happens. Like, I think if you made this Not like New York, which is famously not gay at all. Well, exactly. But I think if you... you, (laughs) Certainly wasn't any gay shit going on. I think if you remade this now, Mm. I think if you remade this now, there would be... That would be a pronouns joke, right? And, Uh, like... mm. But I don't think you would have a a sort of, like, a protagonist respond in the same way. I don't think you would have John McClane be, like, smiling but using the, you know, Zizer pronouns, right? Um... Whereas that's that's kind of the way this is played, and it's like, yeah, he he just goes along, you know. He's he's an average guy. He's an everyman, and he just sort of like smiles and and like you know makes it work. Um, we meet the boss. We meet the boss, Mister Takagi, um, and uh, he he takes John to go and meet Holly in her office. She's temporarily not out, so John catches Ellis doing a little bit of cocaine. Um, I love this guy's cocaine acting. He's, oh yeah, he's, he's a great cocaine actor. Yeah, he's very effective at looking like he's on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Um, and, and, and Ellis sort of like taunts John. Well, first of all, Takagi gets a very interesting line, which I did pull as a drop. And this will also tell me how good the levels on the drops are, so uh, do note that. But uh, Takagi says, Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we got you with tape decks. And this pulls into a theme, right? Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we got you with tape decks. This is... Rising Sun again, but now as a joke. Yeah, and it's kind of fun that he's the one who makes that joke. <laughs> what, what what it is is like a perfect demonstration of the way in which Hollywood sort of like moves past its own errors. Like, okay, Japanese zaibatsu rule didn't happen, so now we just sort of like joke about it and go on to next thing. It's like in that way a bit of a a bit of a microcosm of how all of this shit works. Like w- once we eventually stop doing like Middle Eastern terrorism or whatever, you're gonna get some line in some big movie that's like, ah, oh, you're terrorism, huh? Gets the same reaction, and then we just move past it to whatever next. Yeah, there'll be some in like ten um, years, ten fifteen years time. There'll be something about, oh, we didn't manage to trans all the kids, but we got most of them, like something like that, you know. <laughs> um, but Holly comes in and uh, she's wearing a Rolex that Alice gave her, and Alice kind of makes yeah, Alice, Alice, Alice like flags this up ahead of time because Takagi says about her, mm-hmm. she. She was made for this business, tough as nails. And Ellis sort of taunts John by saying, "Yeah, for like for her, you know, distinguished service, but it, you know, we got her a watch. It's a Rolex because he's the kind of person who says it's a Rolex. Omega. Um, 
That's a Rolex. Low poor. Uh, <laughs> like, the thing is, and- is, by the second time you see Alice on screen, you go, this guy's going to die at some point. Mm. And like, yeah. you, know, you know this for a fact. Oh God, you're like, fucking Christ. I hope someone does dies. kill him. <laughs> I wish I had that as well, but I recorded over oh, it with a drop I'm from Uncle. I'm doing all the drops on this. I know, I recorded over it with <laughs> yeah, like Uncle right. drops that I can't use yet even. So. <laughs> Just fucking radio silence. All I've got is, I think I've got... Let me bust... There you go. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's Alice all the time. John and Holly mm. have this uh, this like spark of reconciliation, maybe. The Holly's like, yeah. do you want to come and stay with me in the spare room? She's like, She says, I missed you. Um, and it's this moment of like, oh, okay, maybe it's going to be, oh. Yeah, maybe it's going to work it's, out. It's, but it's like, yeah, Bruce, it's, it's a decent, fuck it, mm. Willis is the one that fucks it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he like yeah, flags he it does, to himself. he's a dick. Mm-hmm. Yes. They have this like, sort of decently acted, they're separated, but they kind of still want to make it work. Mm. It, it's Bruce Willis isn't as good an actor as Bonnie Bedelia, so she, like she's doing most of the like heavy lifting there. But the bit that like really does make it work and really does make you like and sympathize with John McClane is after they argue and she leaves, he like sort of like lightly bangs his head on the door frame and like he talks to himself. He talks to himself in the mirror. He's like, oh great job. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You fucking idiot. Yeah. And it's like, who hasn't done this? It's it's very relatable. It's quite clever too um, that they establish his habit of talking to himself given that he's gonna spend much of the film on his own later on. It's quite clever. Mm-hmm. And but anyway, then then then, then, the boys then are right. you see fellows roll on up. Ultimate level guy you love to see, Alan Rickman. I am you know, I'm wearing my my number one Alan Rickman fan t-shirt. I've got my number one Alan Rickman fan mug. I've got the little Homer Simpson Alan Rickman pennant, and I'm sitting down to watch this movie. <laughs> he made the great career Alan decision Rickman. to die before anyone asked him what he thought of JK Rowling. Very smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone did, and then he just died. And, uh, oh, which very is the, the correct I'm sure response. he would have been, like, sure been lovely about it. Um I've got all the same interview terminated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've got all the same stuff, but it says number two Alan Rickman fan because I'm aware of the presence I'm in. <laughs> um, it's not often that I say this about any man, listeners, but that is a sick ass goatee, right? That's true. It's fucked. It's, up. I, I almost never say that, but it is good. <laughs> yeah, and so he he enters the movie goatee first, leading his boys in. You know what else I love? Another one of my favorite genders. A precisely like Swiss watch timed uh, heist entrance. Love that. It's It's so good because like he's not even the first guy to like walk out of the back of the van. Like Mm -hmm. a couple of people come out before him, but then they just part enough and the camera like catches up with him and walks with him as he comes out. And it's just it's a a lovely bit of direction. Also, one of the goons uh, for Mm -hmm. the eagle eyed viewers is Vigo, the bad guy from Ghostbusters 2. That Famously, right. one of the most difficult actors in the world to work with. There you go. And we get this, oh, yeah. this really oh, fun yeah, infiltration scene where they, they they kill the security guards downstairs. They send a guy like in a perfect security guard disguise to sit at the desk and imitate one of them. Um, we see them like wiring up explosives. My favorite little detail in this is the guy who like is following uh, directions in his head to get to where to plant the explosives. And because these are Euro trash, he like is giving the directions to himself in German. So he's like walking out of the door, like links and rechts, and it's really fucking good. Um, it, it's, it's really, mm-hmm. it's really solid. Um, it's this fella who's playing Theo, Clarence Gilliard Jr., having the most fun of anyone in this entire movie. 
just absolutely yes. loves to be here loves to be doing he's, things he's the hacker mm-hmm. um and he, he like disables all of the lifts so everyone at the party is stuck at the party uh they don't know anything's gone wrong yet and in fact um uh john and holly get like briefly walked in on earlier by like uh, a couple who are looking for an office to have sex in mm-hmm. um the 1980s and exactly and as the 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 terrorists storm the the party and like you know fire shots in the air and take hostages john mcclain is doing the self-help tip he is busy sort of like making fists with his toes in the carpet yeah. um and again talking out loud to himself he's just like son of a bitch yeah fists with the toes. <laughs> it's cool yeah, because it works. And there's this, this, um, <laughs> this line from Alan Rickman, which it, it goes sort of under discussed, but when they're all in the elevator, uh, they've all got the guns, they're going up. It's, it's hard to pick up, but he goes, Remember, no Russian. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. It's very good. The Duck AI. Uh, um. mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they, like, seize control of the party. Uh, including like dragging the topless woman who was busy having sex on on a desk out, uh, just so you get a little bit of like tits. Yeah, the eighties again. Also mm-hmm. wrote the eighties. Mm-hmm. I didn't even notice yes. that. Um, and sort of shoeless in just his his undershirt, his vest, and his and his trousers. John McClane sees that he is outnumbered. He sees that there are like seven of them. They all have submachine guns, and he likes it. Yeah, he goes to like is... hide in in uh, upstairs, like a a section of the building which is still under construction. I think it's fu- it's fucking great. It's not very action hero because mm. Schwarzenegger at this point he exits Round. the the office. <laughs> and he he look he like he kills seven guys. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. handily. Um, whereas exactly. Uh, whereas McLean, he 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 leaves, and then we get like one brief shot of him going up the staircase, just like checking on what's in each room, and he's saying it out loud himself. It's like, all right, thirty-two computers, thirty-three under construction. They're trying to build like a mental map uh-huh. of the area, and then Hans exits the elevator Hans. with his gay little filofax. That's he's right. got a little like nineteen eighties day planner in a little like leatherette cover which i really like that's where he keeps his master plan like kim kitsuragi that's where he does his thinking and uh he he, he exits and alan rickman is having the time of his life doing this he, he like any role but especially this he talks like like the the words taste bad like um that's true but like also that, that like one thing i really like about the way alan rickman delivers his lines in everything actually is that he really takes his time to say it like <laughs> due to the t- due to the nakatomi corporation's legacy of greed around the globe they're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power you will be witnesses and the way he delivers this is much more effete than that as well he's got his little planner he's like sort of like standing quite nerdily and uh, he, he's, of course, delivering this to like a room full of terrified hostages. And it's, it's an interesting idea of, like, of masculinity is going on with Hans Gruber, which I will get to. And he continues um, in this same vein because he asks to see Mr. Takagi. He knows Mr. Takagi's whole bio and like menaces mm-hmm. the people in the crowd who might be him until the real Mr. Takagi comes forward. Um, it's, it's interesting. Mr. Takagi's bio includes him being interned yes, by the U.S. That. government as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is again a little bit of like, oh, we feel a little bit bad about the Rising Sun stuff. Maybe. 
Um, and he takes Mr. Also, also, the Mr. Takagi's first name is Joseph. Like, he's yeah. an American yeah, citizen. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, oh, maybe we fucked up with Rising Sun. Maybe. No apologies, but we are going to make a little joke about it. I'm going to include this. Um, he takes Mr. Takagi upstairs um, into kind of a private room to talk to him. And we we see that he kind of, uh, he says, he makes a reference to Alexander the Great and then says, you know, yes, benefits of classical education. In oh, fact, yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. He's actually, uh, he's misquoting Petrarch there. Mm. Um, the, the, it's the right, Alexander is like taught the existence of infinite worlds, and he weeps because he's like, well, why haven't I been able to conquer one of them? Um, but he also, he does a very sort of a me move, right? Which is, he takes them upstairs, they have a bunch of scale models of like uh, the Nakatomi Corporation's <laughs> various projects. He's got like some Gundams, he's got some like plane models, and he, he had, like is magnetically attracted to one of them, and he looks over at this bridge model and he goes, I always enjoyed to make models when I was a boy, the exactness, the attention to every conceivable detail. As someone who also loved to make models when I was a boy, because of the exactness and the precision, yeah, no, I get you, Hans. Uh, did no, this will lead you me hate Hans Gruber theory. because he's autism coded? Um, That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. he's he's autism coded, and he's something else coded as well. We'll get to that. And also, this no, will I mean. tie on uh, tie in later to my theory about this film's relationship between masculinity and time. Um, but anyway, at, also, at this point, also on on in, in the lift on the way up to this floor, in order to prove that he is like cultured, he notices who made Takagi's suit, uh, and he says, "You know, I, I have two of those myself." And he, he sort of he transitions from this interesting choice of word. He transitions from this to 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 sort of like back to crime by saying, "I could talk about men's fashions uh, and, and, and like an international politics all day, but juicy calls." Please give me your computer password. Um, and Takagi is like he, he's he's resolute. He's like, no, I don't I don't want to do that. John, meanwhile, sort of infiltrates this floor. He's like hiding under the model. Um, and, and then Alan Rickman has my favorite line in the whole film. Where he's like, Mister Takagi, I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. Yes. So cold. So cold, baby. <laughs> While John is like hiding, you hear Hans make his sort of like his sales pitch to Takagi. And one of the things I like is that he knows how little in in Takagi's terms he's robbing him of. He says, you know, I you know I want the the four hundred billion dollars or whatever six hundred million bonds six hundred forty million dollars. Yeah. Oh, okay. In, in <laughs> that's not a lot of money in corporate terms. Not a ton. In, in in your vault, and Takaki is like scandalized. He's like, "You want money? What what kind of terrorist are you?" And uh, he gives them this big smile and says, "Who said we were terrorists?" And you have to know that at this time, right? Euro terrorism was sort of like we're not quite at the '90s thing of like true lies, where we're like all terrorists must be in Hollywood's vision Arabs, right? And so as we're sort of Scousing the globe for acceptable terrorisms, it was now distant enough that we could use Euro terrorism, right? And so that, like, this is the same sort of like uh, sort of mental framework in which some of the Jack Ryan movies take place, or the Harrison Ford Patriot one, games, yeah. where it's like, yeah, like terrorism is like a European phenomenon, like a it's like a left wing phenomenon, right? It's like a Bader Meinhof phenomenon, it's like a sort of a Northern Ireland phenomenon, and therefore, you know, that that's what a terrorist looks like. 
Uh, and so the, the movie's kind of like happily tricks you into doing that. Mm. And it's like, no, he's, they're, they're just thieves. Mm -hmm. They're trying to rob the place. He wants some fucking money. Um, yeah. Exactly. He's on his grind. Uh, and what could be more relatable than and that? And Mr. Takagi um, says, I'm, I'm not going to help you. I can't do it. I don't know the password. You're just going to have to kill me. And, and Alan Rubens goes, okay, kills him. All right. <laughs> yeah. There you also, go. another detail I like, Theo and Carl, one of his henchmen with the long blonde hair, are like in the room and they like... <laughs> They're taking bets on whether Takagi gives him the password, yeah. and after Rickman kills him, you just see Theo just get handed like a twenty dollar bill. It's really good. It, like the background, the the stuff the guys are doing in the background of this is is fantastic. Yes, uh, there's a lot of like I, I think a lot of that is just improv, and I think mm. this a lot of this is John McTiernan giving the actors scope to to do shit, which I really like because. Um, Actors sometimes have good ideas, it turns out. You don't have to subscribe to this view that like actors aren't real and the director makes the movie happen by using them as puppets. Um, John knocks over something on the table and like gets hunted upstairs, but they still they they've heard something, but they don't know he's there what yet. Is that? They're in their caution alert. It's just the wind. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He runs upstairs into a floor that's under construction and he sees the fire alarm and he pulls that. And he goes, ah. Um, Pulls it. <laughs> yes. Like we see how completely ineffective this is. Because it just like the dude at the front desk just like, uh, there's been a fire alarm pulled. And they're like, all right, phone the police station, give them the guard's name, the building code, and tell them to mm. turn it off. It's been a false alarm. Also, what floor was that set off on? It's yeah, like, yeah, and he you takes a yourself. second before he like, he does, yeah, beautiful. He... It's a beautiful piece of acting by, by Rickman because he like, he says, yeah, call him, tell him to like cancel the alarm, takes another step down the staircase, and then goes, oh shit, and then gets back on the radio. It's like, what floor was that on? <laughs> Which is really good. And so, uh, John is at the window watching the fire the fire engines like drive towards Nakatomi Plaza, and he sees them turn their lights off and turn around. Um, and at this point, Hans has sent his sexiest Euro trash yeah, to kill Yeah, R.I.P. to this perfect they have dude. deployed yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> absolute Dahmer lookalike, I'm afraid. Sorry, mm, fellas. Yeah. Deploy uh -huh, him. Uh -huh. uh, uh, he has like sort of like not quite shoulder length, very blonde hair, incredible fit. You might say to yourself, "Oh, this is just like a a, a grey sweatshirt and grey jogging bottoms." Meanwhile, me and Riley, host of Trash Future, are watching this, going, "Fuck, is that Rick Owens? Shit, dude! Um, Super tight trousers, an insanely long sweater. Fuck, just mm -hmm. and then like a, sh a shoulder mounted fucking like." Gun. A machine yeah, like, gun, gun of some description. It's like a first generation HK MP5. And he's he's like walking around going, Vayu. And then as <laughs> he's he, he, like, trying to hurt like, you. I promise I will not hurt I you. And this is followed immediately by the meatiest. <laughs> the, the meatiest HK slap I've ever heard, where he mm -hmm. like you're supposed to do this. He takes the the charging handle of the HK and he just like slaps it down so the bolt locks open so it's ready to you're fire. You're supposed to spam and... the gun. It's it's the please please more mommy gun. Slap the fruit. Slap yes, yes. the fruit. Well, the, <laughs> so the operator's manual says to operate this in, and I quote, a soldierly fashion, uh, which means. <laughs> It wants you. I think, to hit I think it. my manual also says that. <laughs> yeah, does anyone want to operate either of us in a soldierly fashion? Um, but so 
he he moves around the thing where he thinks John is hiding and just sprays the whole fucking area with mm-hmm. uh, with nine millimeter. Uh, it's great. It's like no, you're not giving yourself up to these people. John gets John, him a gun point moved. and he says, "You are just a stupid policeman." Uh, yes. And I have a fight. What he what he says specifically is, "There are rules for policemen." And we get our first hint that John McClane is like a rogue cop because he goes, that's what my captain keeps telling Another me. Another one of those. Just are there, are there any cops that, that do play by the book? That are just kind of very yeah, secured me. cannons? <laughs> very secure attachments. We need at least cops. one secure cannon, man. We yeah. gotta have one on the mm. force. <laughs> I would love to see a series about a cop who just very strictly plays by the rules. <laughs> doesn't have any personal problems, yeah. doesn't drink, just normal cop yeah, just, but, a, but, just a standard guy yeah cool mm-hmm. yeah, let's go for it so he has this fight with not uli forget what this dude's name it is doesn't matter Jeffrey oh, some shit. Uh, yeah Dharma. tony 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 um, oh uh, and he he kills him but there's there's two things i want to draw out here first of all every time he's in a fight scene mclean sort of like is screaming incomprehensible <laughs> threats at the guy yes he's like i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna eat you it's perfect <laughs> i really like it because it makes sense for a guy who like runs his mouth and is scared and yeah. like talks before he thinks nice and the other thing um, is this kill is accidental they fall down yes. the fucking stairs and he just happens to break his neck mm-hmm. and he, he like looks at him looks at like his dead body and like briefly is like oh fuck he doesn't feel bad about it. It's not a remorse thing. It's just shock. Mm-hmm. But it's it's well done. It's like this is not a guy who is ready to kill at all times. This is someone who has been sort of like forced into it by circumstance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, but he takes his walkie-talkie, his cigarette lighter, his machine gun, and not his shoes because the shoes are too small. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he 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 like he sets him up on a chair, uh, and he sees some like some Christmas stuff. Because uh, it's a Christmas movie, and he he puts him in the elevator and he sends him down to the floor that he knows Hans is on, while he is riding on the top of the elevator. Which fuck that, absolutely yeah. never doing. Every that. single no, thing that takes place in the elevator shaft, which is an immense amount of this movie, fills me with so much dread and fear. <laughs> I cannot fucking mm-hmm. cope with it. Surely it's not any more dangerous than being in the lift. No, I think it's much more dangerous than being in a lift because I can fall off the edge. Yeah, good point. Yeah. 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 We'll get crushed, which nearly happens to him. But so he he like uh sees them uh come into the lift and like see Tony's dead body. Uh and he's writing down on his arm in Sharpie like their names and how many of them there are, mm-hmm. which is smart. Um and that that's when uh uh Gruber sees that he has written on Tony's sweater in I think it's meant to be blood. Now I have a machine gun. Ho ho. Hole, mm. which I really it's, it's perfect delivery actually mm-hmm. yeah, just, yeah just phenomenal <laughs> Holly sees the corpse in the left as well and she's like oh, John's alive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also this um, guy who's been killed is uh, is the brother of one of our other henchmen Carl Carl Carl, Carl the big long haired dude mm. um, fuck yeah he's fuck. very upset mm-hmm. that his brother's been killed um, and John uh, uses the walkie talkie that he got from the guy he killed to go to the roof and broadcast on the police emergency frequency and be like, Mayday, Mayday, they've taken over Nakatomi Tower. And the lady, they are both ladies, yes. on the other two end, women. don't listen to him. Women Because we're too busy listen. doing our nails. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's true. 
the woke police refused to listen to him because this is like when they made uh, Robocop gay. Mm. <laughs> yeah, very much. Uh, he's he's like trying to tell them what's happening, and they're like, "This is an emergency frequency." And his, his sort of his response to that is, "Fine, fuck it, come down here and arrest me." Uh, but <laughs> which I like, but they don't listen to him. They just cut him off. There's also um, one of my favorite lines in the film when they say, "So this is the emergency frequency. It's for emergencies only." And he says, "Yeah, no shit. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza?" <laughs> just every he <laughs> just like screams that shit down the phone. <laughs> And, it, and they're like, like alright, this, this is- check if there's a fucking dude in the zone, send him along. Uh-huh. S- send, send a guy. Send our most bored guy. We get- Meanwhile- Sorry, go on. Yeah. Well, the, no, we'll talk about it in a minute. The, the, second, the second this radio call goes out, Hans and all the others hear it on their radios. Mm-hmm. And so Hans grabs his- he rustles up some guys, including Carl. There's a fantastic stayer AUG. Um, might be Orc, whatever. Um, and it's like, Go up to the roof uh, and kill him, um, but like do it quietly. Like just like lock him up there if you have to. Just so, so long as when the police get here, they see that nothing's wrong and they leave again. Um, and Carl is of course out for blood. He wants to kill John at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so they get into a little bit of a firefight. John escapes into the lift shaft. Um, <laughs> Hans is like, just lock him in. Hans like, just lock him in there. Lock it, like, just leave it. And Carl, Carl turns off the radio. Carl wants fucking blood. Um, Mm. And John manages to lower himself down the lift shaft by the sling of the machine gun and get into Mm. the air conditioning ducts. Yeah, and this is where we get the other line. Now I know what a TV dinner feels like, which is like, this is the like perfect kind of like diehard masculinity, right? Is he's trapped. He is scared and he's wisecracking in order to cope. That like this is his coping skill. Yeah. Is he talks to himself and he says things that are kind of funny. It's nice that he's um, doing that, and and it, the movie tells us he's doing this because he's scared, not because he's like yes. I'm so cool. I'm making quips on the phone. Like they fly now, they fly now. Like they're doing it because he's like scared. I think I think a, a lot of films like quip. Um, but they we kind of forget that the quips are meant to be there to like diffuse the tension and not work. But this film does remember that. Yeah, this yeah, is Jesus this is one God. of the things I think like the they fly now stuff. That's a copy of a copy of a copy of this, mm-hmm. uh, and it's sort of like now become so attenuated that it's just this sort of like Marvel smugness. Um, and and no, it's, it was it was here originally for this. Um, but so the uh, we get the introduction of our our fellow, our boy. The real yes. man, the best man, uh, the fucking guy. Yes, except this movie doesn't think that he... He's like, he's not a man. He's conditionally a man until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. This is Sergeant Oh, we'll Powell. fucking Powell. talk about that. Do You're not, not a man worry. until you yes. shoot bullets out of your dick. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and Sergeant Powell is busy picking up Twinkies. He's kind of... He's, he's also black, which is like important because we're going to talk about how many different characters in this movie are black, and this is like progressive in a sense. He's overweight, and he's also very balding, um, and he's kind of a joke. Like as he like uh, takes, as he like has the guy uh, like ring up these Twinkies, he's like kind of defensively like, "She's for my, wa-, you know, they're for my wife who's pregnant." By the way, so lower sunglasses. Yeah, and this other guy pregnant, who is, by the way, uh, also just like a perfect, perfect American-looking fellow. He's just like, yeah, sure, mm-hmm. sure, man. <laughs> Whatever, fine. Um, he gets the call to go and swing by Nakatomi Plaza and check it out. Uh, he goes inside, and the fake security guard's like, "Everything's fine here, dude." <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, they're no fucking worries. just like, 
All right, who's our most Americanish guy possible? <laughs> Security guy. We need. To yeah, talk. I love the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> He's probably just like good afternoon. I'm watching officer. the UT game. Go false. Um, <laughs> the vibes is uber fucked. <laughs> and and we and we see that like Powell is a little bit suspicious, and he pokes around a little bit further because he's smart, right? Smart of vibe, and, like a killing. <laughs> around the next corner is the guy with another MP5 who's ready to kill him. Should it come to that? Uh, but he like he stops just short, and he's like, "Nah, fuck this." It's an redneck dude. <laughs> it's clearly fine. They hired one German man. That's not a crime. Um, he's. I don't know why he's pretending to be an American, but it's fine. Um, I'm just gonna leave. And meanwhile, upstairs, John is getting into a gunfight that, that Powell cannot hear. Um, he's under a table. Uh, a guy, he, he kills one guy in self-defense. And then another guy is standing on top of the table, and he, and he goes, next time, when you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. And John shoots him through the table, fully breaking with the rules and the cop and all of this. And it's just like, okay, thanks, I won't. Um, Goes to the window, sees Powell about to leave, and has uh, well, he has a he, he has a brain thought, brain fucking wave hits him here, and it's like the entire time through this scene, like Powell is being watched by like ten guys in the next floor up, all of whom have guns trained on him, and he's just like, "This is calm, this is normal as hell." And then, um, as he goes to drive away, a body lands on the trunk of his car. Mm-hmm. Yes. And all hell fucking it, breaks loose. Immediately. immediately, everyone in the building starts shooting at his car. He, you know, just mm-hmm. like floors it in reverse, drives <laughs> off an embankment, is calling for like all the backup in the world at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, we have to introduce another, a third kind of dipshit. Right? Yeah. Which is the media guy who is introduced making a Wolfgang Puck joke. He's like, yeah, I know Wolfgang. I can get you a reservation in his restaurant on the phone. Who, like, has the police scanner on and has to, like, sort of uh, berate his way into getting, a like, a remote video truck to go out there mm. to this shooting at Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, this is Walter Peck um, from Ghostbusters 1. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good at this exact um, kind of vibe of guy. Mm. So John, uh, yes. uh, again, like the Borg, just oh, like an early player in Fallout, just harvests everything from the corpses of the people he kills. Um, mm, and he yep, steals yep. Uh, detonators and C4. Um, as we later discover, this is all the detonators the bad guys have. And they're like, fuck, he's got all the detonators. We need those. Um, but he calls Hans on the radio and is like, hey, what's up, motherfucker? Um, Hans this says he's seen too many movies. Uh, you're from a bankrupt culture. Well, this, th- this, is, <laughs> this is a really important scene. Mm-hmm. Right. First of all, he calls him, and he is so annoying. And I say that as a compliment. Right. It, 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 in some ways, it kind of predicts trolling. Right. The way Hans he like looks at the radio in his hand once he realizes he is dealing with the sort of the American everyman and how annoying this is. And we have this great conversation, which sets up my main point about this movie. Right. Which is that this movie is the blueprint for a heavily contingent white cishet, but sort of culturally default due to those of Germanys. This is 90s masculinity, right? And so th- what it's being confronted with is some smug Euro trash going, Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne. And 
in order to like incorporate and respond to those anxieties that American culture might be bankrupt and might only have movies and John Wayne, who is ridiculous, and Schwarzenegger and Stallone, right? The response is irony. He, he says, I always preferred Roy Rogers. And if you don't know who Roy Rogers is, he's the singing cowboy. Um, it's sort of like sequin-shirted, white-suited, troubadourish joke. Like he's sort of like very PG. Um, Roy Rogers got in like gunfights, but like barely. And it's it's very interesting, right? Because I think you can make draw a and I use this word very precisely straight line from guy who is surprised when a guy kisses him, but is willing to sort of like bait someone else by talking about wearing sequin shirts to the kind of sort of homophobic but ironic defensive posture of like the 2000s and Abercrombie and Fitch and all of that shit. And I think part of the reason why there is so much irony around is because this recast the whole of what American masculinity was supposed to be in the 90s to be ironic and sarcastic and referential oh, to different movies. Interesting. I, I honestly think this is like the sort of like, uh, you know, prehistoric creature that predicts the evolution of Marvel. Um, God, you hmm. you might be right. Alice analysis. That's, that's my theory. That's my Alice analysis. Um, yeah. We um, do get the famous line where Bruce Willis uh, says, yippee motherfucker. Um, yes. That's a fucking synthesis, is what that is, right? Because Yippie Kaye, folks, is Roy Rogers playing a banjo, riding off into the sunset. Whereas if you like, and then you add motherfucker to it, which is like the, sort of the one heavy swear you are allowed in like an 80s action movie. Like Schwarzenegger might get to say that to a guy who is also as big as him and shirtless before he impaled him with a pipe. It'd be like motherfucker. Like once you weld those two together, that's, that's a fucking dialectical synthesis is what that is. And that's like, oh, the new thing is... Uh, like it, it contains the seeds of both of these, but is like in opposition to both of them internally. That's what that is. Um, the LAPD yeah, arrive. Yeah, <laughs> the LAPD arrive. The LAPD arrive and they're dipshits. Is the other thing about? Yeah, them. correct. Mm. Yeah, uh, like ha throughout this movie, Powell stays on the radio to to John, and Powell is like sensible and reasonable, and he and John understand each other. Everyone else in the LAPD is a fucking moron. Mm -hmm. um, yep, true, correct. So we get. Yeah, I refer we to this scene sort of generally like, as like dickheads arrive at the scene because like two yeah, yeah, guys yeah. in rapid succession roll up and are like, "I am a cunt." Hello, and I'm like, "All right, <laughs> okay." The, the the deputy chief of the LAPD, Dwayne Robinson, Dwayne T. Robinson, who is mm -hmm. I think consciously designed like the sort of more tyrannical uh, American football or basketball like coach. He's wearing yeah. kind of same kind of suit, a little bit kind of Bobby Knight vibes. Um, you're in big trouble, mister, sort of thing, though, too. Um, oh, okay. High school principal as well. Um, we, got, we get sort of like immaculate 90s SWAT vibes where they're all wearing the like one piece vests and the like uh, baseball caps. There's a, an interesting little scene where they run through some rose bushes and one of the like SWAT cops gets his hand fricked by a thorn and he stops and goes, ah, Jesus. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah. And that's these also, guys. Mm. These guys are soy and gay, but they're also stupid, yeah. right? Because they ran through a, a, like a bunch of rose bushes instead of an open lawn. 
Um, yeah, and they, they, John even calls them macho assholes as they try and breach the building. Yes. Despite mm-hmm. his warnings. Yes. And they just get absolutely fucking owned by the bad guys. This, this, mm-hmm. here come the first um, of a couple of things I'd like to know. And these generally go under the, the heading that I'm calling her. Uh, you are talking on an open line, cunt. Shut up. Uh, which is where <laughs> Bruce Willis sees that they're about to try to enter the building and says on the line that he knows Hans Gruber has access to. No, you're going to try to come in. Um, and I yeah. Wrote, Don't do that. Precipitates uh, this. Yeah. They try to defuse it by if immediately I... thereafter having Theo on, on, the, on the TV monitors be like, look, they're going to come in. But like, mm-hmm. the intel came from... No, it's, it, it's his fault. Came from yeah. him first. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, they, they, they bring in an armoured vehicle, mm-hmm. which the they guys do. destroy with a like... Huge. Okay. Let's, let's take a second here because the line is just like hmm. send in the car and then we get the car intro cutscene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like a mini bus. Yeah, yeah. it's fucking. It just like comes out now and like there's just like they got an RV and then immediately it gets shot of a missile and destroyed. Yeah, Vigo blows the shit out of it. Oh yeah, yeah, just rock. And then and then um, Hans on the radio is like hit it again. And this is John's like radicalizing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like hero moment. Is he yells at him, you know, let let them pull back, you asshole. Um, and he doesn't. He hits him again, like destroys the thing, kills a bunch of cops. Um, we also, uh, I'm I'm gonna bring this up every time this happens in Equilibrium or Robocop. We see wounded cops like writhing in pain. We again, do because you're like, these guys are dipshits. It's their own fault, but you're still meant to sympathize with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and John so drops a bunch th- of C4 this... down the lift shaft. He does. Yeah, what does he say when he drops the C4 down the lift shaft? Uh, take this under advisement, says, a-hole, I believe. Something like that. Yeah, but when he, when, he, when he drops it down the thing, he says, Geronimo, motherfucker. And that is part of, like, it's not at the beginning, and it's certainly not at the end, of a long, long history of invoking the name of Geronimo when you're about to do some, like, action movie shit. Uh, like, it was, it was a thing in World War II as well. Oh. And it's like, a lot of people yelling as they jump out of planes. Yeah, it's, it was the code word when they killed Osama bin Laden. There is a long, long history well, I would, of. Like, I would hope for a much better code word when they kill me. It's like, it's racially insulting, too, because this was an enemy of the United States. It was a Native American leader who, uh, like, mm. was, was killed ultimately by the United States. Um, and it's, it's like, it's interesting because. This is the other lens, right? And it's telling you this all the time, but you never really see this written about because it's so obvious. Die Hard isn't a fucking Christmas movie. Die Hard is a Western. Die Hard is a Western about the only lawman who goes into a strange and unfamiliar territory. Full of uh, gay European men. Yeah, and is forced to duel a gay European man who in a different time would have been played by Lee Van Cleef. Um, It's a Western. Um, At this point, Ellis decides he's the main character of the film. He does, yes. By doing cocaine, which is the effect cocaine has, I'm told. Ellis does some coke and goes, fuck, I'm going to go sort this all out. Give me a minute. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to fix wolves. Cool, man. (laughs) Great fucking idea. This is a perfect scene. This Uh is a spot on scene. Ellis is a perfect character. I I hate him with all my heart. I love him to bits. Yeah, he says Uh, a bunch of racial slurs. Yeah. (laughs) He does. Because, again, the 90s man... He's he's ironic. He's sarcastic. One thing he isn't is racist, and so racism is for assholes like Ellis. Yeah. Ellis, who like deploys a bunch of racial slurs in the into this room, which also disgusts Gruber. Yeah, that is, who is interesting. Like, he's like insulted by by Ellis's stupidity and his racism, mm. and he lets him sort of like 
negotiate because Ellis is Ellis's thing is I can bring you John McClane. His name is John McClane. <laughs> first is of so all, so good. Ellis like, clearly thinks like he's he's fucking smashing this. But you can tell so, just yeah. by Alan Rickman's face that he hates this guy and is humoring him. It's so good. <laughs> Ellis, like, it's really good. Hans is just like, wow, you're really clever. You really figured all that out. Well done. Wow. Yeah. What, what's what's it's fantastic because like. He Hans gets on the fucking radio to John and is like, John, I've got someone here, a very special friend I'd like you to hear from. And like you can see on John's face that he's clearly prepared for it to be Holly. And he's like, Oh, mm-hmm. oh god. And then he hears, Hey, John boy. <laughs> and he just goes, Ellis, what, you, <laughs> what did you tell them? Because Ellis says, Hey, I'm I'm John's like oldest friend. We've known each other for years, as well as they've just met that night. Like yeah, he'll he's listen here to me. Of me. Yeah, like he's like yeah. he was and my plus one. And then John's like, "You idiot! You put yourself in danger! Like, what have you done?" And and then Ellis has this moment where he's like, he's bluffing or thinks he's bluffing. He's like, "John, you know, you, you got to come down. You got to stop a deferring. They're gonna kill me, John. Like, you got to turn yourself in." And then Hans is like, actually loading his gun. <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> yeah, and Ellis yeah. still on the line is just like Hans. Hey, what are you doing? I'm not a method actor. This is radio, not television. <laughs> yeah. And it's just yeah. like, and I- put it together, man. Put it together. <laughs> and Charlie yeah. tries and to Ellis- warn him. He's like, Ellis, you don't know. These guys are fucking for real. They will not fuck around. And then, like, John doesn't come down and Hans just <laughs> fucking shoots Ellis and kills him. <laughs> yeah, he talks himself into an early grave. Yeah. And because the uh, the LAPD are listening this whole time, Dwayne, the, the chief, takes this as, like, evidence that, that John is, like, uh, first of all, he doesn't believe he's really a cop. But second of all, he's like, uh, he's responsible for Alice's death r- rather than Alice. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I should talk about this. The whole time, like, um, that John is sort of running around, Powell is on, on the radio with him in a profoundly homosocial way. That was the right? word that I he- wrote down for the ending of the film. He, he he tells him he loves him at one point. At another point, when when he says that he's going to get out of that and they're, they're like their kids are going to play together, he says, "Well, that's a date." Um, and it's it's interesting. So at this point, Gruber now calls the police and he's like, "I, I have a list of demands, mm-hmm. right?" Um, and he starts demanding the release of uh, you know, the bad guys from every eighties action movie. Yeah. You gotta release the 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 United Provo front, which Sean Bean was in mm-hmm. in Patriot Games. Gotta... You gotta release Sean Bean from Patriot Games. Uh, you, you gotta release you gotta release all the guys that Frank Drebin beats up at yeah, the beginning of the Yeah, You gotta Naked release Skeletor, <laughs> you gotta release yep. Mumra, <laughs> it's really good. It's really good because it's just like you got to release these boys in Sri Lanka, and like one of his guys is like, "Say, like, I want over-the-counter hormone replacement therapy." He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, I read about him in Time Magazine one time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you got to release. Uh... Yeah, you got to like, uncancel cool. Buck yeah. Angel. I want to pay. I want to pay Blair White's court fees. I want. It's just yeah. making and, ridiculous. And once, once you do all of that. All of us and the hostages will go up to the roof. You will put us on helicopters. We will go to the airport, and then we'll sort it from there. Um, and at this point, the FBI show up. And yeah, this the guy's FBI, baby. First of all, A star. Love to see um, one character here in particular. Robert Darvey. Love to see. We him love to work. see Robert Darvey. <laughs> he's just so good. We do. Not so much now because he's crazy, but like <laughs> uh, at the time, fantastic. Um, and these these are the two FBI agents, Johnson and Johnson. They're credited and as Big Johnson, you... Little Johnson, which is quite funny. Right. <laughs> agent Johnson is Special Agent Johnson, no relation. 
If, if you think that the LAPD are macho assholes, the FBI's job in this movie is to be even bigger macho yeah, assholes. Love fucking right. Um, they, they tell the uh, the chief, the LAPD chief, when we when we commandeer your men, we'll try to let you know. Like fuck you. Kind of thing. I I really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but for his next for the next part of his plan, Carl needs the detonators. He's like bought some time with this like uh, you got to release skeletal shit. Mm. But he needs he needs Carl to go and and you got to get, get those the fucking detonators. C four. Mm. Ah. It's useless without detonators. And Hans goes mm. up because uh, they've they've raked the roof with explosives. Um, Hans goes up to mm. check it. Uh, and uh, he puts his gun on, on one side and climbs up to the roof. And of course, he comes face to face with John. And he does this cool mm-hmm. bit where he pretends to be a scared hostage by doing an accent. He does a American voice. accent. <laughs> I would I, say. I, 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 I got the drop for this. You gotta be on fucking TV with that accent. John has immediately seen through him. Like, yeah, John makes one. him like the second one. I wonder if this um, is Alan Rickman trying to do an American accent and failing, or whether this is Alan Rickman trying to do a German doing a good American accent and failing, or whether yeah. this is Alan Rickman trying and succeeding to play a German who is trying and failing to do an American accent. I choose to believe that it's the latter just to give mm. Alan some credit, largely, because yeah, yeah, I yeah. love the mm. fucking guy. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so such he... a good fake accent, it's <laughs> mm-hmm. so funny. <laughs> We we get this like very tense set of scenes, and then uh, d- like McLean gives him a gun, which which Gruber uses to like hold him up, mm. only to find that it's empty. I would have shot him obviously first. Obviously, he didn't trust him. Also, like yeah, the thing is, and and I, I get mad about this in films and in real life. Whenever people are like, I didn't know the gun was loaded. When you hold a gun, you can tell whether or not it's loaded because if it's loaded, it's yeah. fucking heavier. You can tell mm. when a weapon is empty because it it doesn't. It's like light. When a gun is loaded, you can tell. I saw this thing the other day. There was a real cop who was like shot his partner and was like, oh, "I didn't know the gun was loaded." Yes. It's like then you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Cop being an idiot. Anyway, uh, well, so you're lying. We, we get this. There's this running gunfight that ends up in a in a computer room, and uh, having seen that McLean is like barefoot and also super fucked up, by the way, he's he's like covered in blood and dirt and stuff. Um, like Hans turns to Carl. And he, he looks and he sees that like uh, McLean is hiding behind a big sort of glass partition, a- a- and he goes "Schieß den Fenster." And Carl forgets how to speak German for your benefit, so you can say "Shoot the wind, shoot the glass." Mm-hmm. Um, because the and- one bit of intel that he has received over the course of his couple of seconds is, "My boy, barefoot." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's legal. Barefoot is not legal. It's not <laughs> legal because he he like gets the floor covered in broken glass, and in order to escape. John has to run over broken glass. Which they very kindly don't show us. Uh, No, but very unkindly, they do show us in the next scene, him dragging himself into the bathroom. I hate glass stuff. I hate Mm -hmm. glass stuff. I hated it in Jack Ryan. I hated it in fucking the other thing. I hated it when they did it for absolutely no conceivable reason in the second Man From U.N.C.L.E. movie. (laughs) That was really bad. Yeah, I really, I really don't like it. But so he is like, he's pulling these shards of glass out of his feet and he's like, to cope. He is talking to Powell on the radio, and we get Powell's backstory. And Powell's just like, "Yeah, I'm just a desk jockey. You don't, you don't think that's an honourable thing for a cop?" And McLean says, "No, because you know, 90s masculinity has its mm-hmm. limits." Um, and he says, "How come you're just a desk jockey?" And Powell's answer is, "Man, you remember fucking RoboCop two? You remember uh, where in, in RoboCop two, the the guy goes, yeah, shoot a kid, can you, fucker?'" 
Well, Powell fucking disproved that because he shot a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he gets on the radio and is like, "Yeah, I killed a kid," and like, and then the movie is just like, "This is this is sympathetic." We also explicitly hear that this child had a toy gun when Powell yes. Yes. killed a, a thirteen-year-old yeah, child, which I'm sure in the fucking eighties might have been something that's like, "Oh, that's an interesting, like, you know, abstract concept to to give to a fucking cop," but like in in this day and age, that's not a... Yeah, in, yeah. in present year? Um, what we see is this cop who has murdered a child and is yeah. walking around free. Just hanging Man out. Manslaughtered a child, I suppose. He's like... Because he's like, true, it was true. dark. He had, a, he had a ray gun. And the way the movie presents this to you is... You know, when you're a rookie, they can teach you everything about being a cop except how to live with a mistake. Oh boo hoo! It must be Swallow so, a bullet, cunt. That's how so fucking difficult for you. I'm building all new levels of electron microscopes to find the tiniest violin possible to play for you. <laughs> I, I but my thing God. is right. The, 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 way, the way in which things have like, <laughs> like insanely degenerated since the eighties mm. is that now how many cops would admit of would like admit to this being a mistake. Right, like, yeah. So much of the the like the self preservation discourse now, when the cops shoot a child, is well, we had no way of knowing. Therefore, we shouldn't even feel bad. Mm. Like, how feeling bad is a moral standard to like beneath which things have now slipped. It's worse than that now. Um, cool. But so, this has led Powell to have a life changing disability. He has. Gunitis. He can't fucking shoot someone mm. now. Oh no! Because, because he's he been, killed he's a kid. He's been made unable to cum bullets out of his gun dick, which makes mm -hmm. him a fucking loser. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, literally, his inability oh, to do personal violence emasculates him. It's the same reason he's fat. Genuinely, it is. Yeah. Is yeah. like he he's not a really a man anymore. Yeah, we he's do. He's not really this, a cop this anymore. This film does really lean hard on the idea that like men are the gender that hurts people, and if you can't hurt people, you're not a man. Mm -hmm. So the that's FBI bully the yeah. Normal. So the FBI bully the city into cutting the power, which, as we see, is the last step of Hans's beautiful, brilliant I plan. And so we get. Ode to Joy playing, and you root for these guys. You root for Hans point, and the gang. Yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> I really, the, I love this scene. I want because, like, the the um, FBI cut the power to uh, the building, and then it goes off. But then it cycles back on because the building's on its own circuit, and so the vault is still because the vault when the power goes off, the vault opens, the magnets are released, um, and so it looks like they they fucked it up and they're not going to do it. And then Hans thinks for a moment, and then he goes, "Make them angry," and then and then the hacker guy turns the lights to the building back on. Uh, so that all the people outside can see them, and then the FBI are like, right, fuck this guy, turn off the power to the whole block, and that's what does it, and that's what opens it, and I'm like, oh, man, clever. So it's good. So, it's so Beautiful. fucking good. And the, the best thing is, like, the vault opens, and we get, like, oh, obviously we get owed joy, and everyone's just, like, they're all in the vault looking at all the fucking millions of quid that's laid out in front of them, and then we cut to the FBI guys, and they're like, no, we shit in their pants, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the hack is like, Merry Christmas. It's sick. Ma <laughs> macho assholes. Macho assholes. Because, like, the, your, your 90s man, like, he's not dumb, mm. right? And these guys are, like, dumb and headstrong. Um, and th this gets to the kind of, like, the kind of masculinity that Hans Gruber presents, which is, you know, interesting. The gay kind. Um, um, but then, the gay then we kind. Learn, yes, we learn fuck it, I'll talk about that of... now. That's, that's the point of fucking Hans Gruber, is 
like American trad masculinity is threatened and humiliated by an effete, by an effeminate, by by like a European kind of masculinity that is primarily intellectual, but that knows about like Time magazine and Forbes and knows about menswear and like has carefully groomed itself, uh, has like sort of like the very neat goatee. Uh, and the the only response imaginable to that is irony and and like and sarcasm and being smarter but in sort of a like more roll with the punches indiana jones sort of way. i'm reminded of a, um, of a quote by carl jung um who was asked about hmm. this kind of like crisis of american masculinity and he said something like you ask yourselves why american women prefer european men and um, i say after all that it's because american women are not that different from european women they're like the way that european men make love <laughs> Yeah, two other men. <laughs> That's right, baby. Mm-hmm. I, I, to be fair, the other thing is right. They they find it necessary to undercut um, Hans Gruber in this moment because it like we're we're shown his his team was just like this is a work of singular genius that he would know they would mm-hmm. cut this off um, and that would be like a step in his plan. And then we cut to Al Powell, who just goes, "Yeah, they cut the cut the power to the entire block. They've got the uh, the terrorist playbook, and they're just going step by step." Mm-hmm. So with how they're sort of like every smart person who has ever been outranked in a dumb room. That's right. Um, that's his like entire it's, it's, role for the entire movie is to just be there like, yes, yeah. you are making a mistake. And for the guy to be like, fuck off. No, I'm not. Moving on. Yeah, but like you, you can only sort of like, what's interesting mm-hmm. is uh, this, this European masculinity is like effeminate, right? And, and therefore it's gay. Whereas the not gay heterosexual American kind of masculinity is to hang out on the phone with your boy, uh, talking about how much you love each other. How sad That's it is straight. that you killed a child. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, and at this point, we learn what the final step of Hans's plan is going to be, which is they're going to herd all the hostages up to the roof. They've requested helicopters, and when the helicopters come in, they're going to blow the C4 under the roof, blow it all up. It looks like all the hostages and hostage takers are dead. Um, and Hans is just like, mm. it'll take them a month to sift through the rubble. By the time they figure out what's happened, we'll all be on a beach drinking mai tais in fucking wherever, right? Oh, one other one other subplot I want to draw out is at one point, Hans' identity gets leaked. Yeah, yeah. And and they they like identify him and piece of shit media guy goes to his house and bullies the Latina maid who speaks sort of broken English is not a character and the way in which he gets in the house to interview them and this is how like McLean is identified by Gruber in the first instance uh, is he threatens her with the INS the Immigration and Naturalization Service what becomes uh, ICE right and so a few things going on here. Uh, first of all, Media Guy is a racist piece of shit, right? Which we don't like. The movie doesn't like. But Holly's employing a fucking undocumented migrant to just, you know, nanny her kids, and she's not helping with any of that shit. And also, it, within the universe of this movie, not just, you know, all migrants are undocumented, but all, like, unless you count Robert Davi, 100% of Hispanic people in this movie are undocumented migrants. Um, which. Don't love. I yeah. don't love that, to be honest. On the, on the flip side, though, like this is never really presented as a bad thing. It's just a kind of fact. No, it's presented as a bad it, thing. Yeah. She's nice, use in that fact. information yeah. to your own ends, actually, mm. if anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, um, speaking of family, though, so, John John calls Al, uh, this police sergeant, and is like, mm. please tell my wife that you know I'm really sorry. 
and I should have supported yeah, he, he her more. He grows as a person. Yeah, man. yeah. I, like, I should have supported her job, and she's never heard me say I'm sorry, so I'm sorry, which I like. Why not say, <laughs> you have it's... to support your high-power business girlfriend. That's right. That's, That's fucking right. That's right. true. Uh, they, start, they start herding all the hostages up to the roof. John, uh, like, disarms the explosives. Mm-hmm. Um... And this leads to him and Carl having a big fight in the blue barrel room. That's right. Uh, the big room that they keep by the roof full of blue barrels. Yeah. Um, I, I love him yelling during the fight, um, which yeah, he does. Yeah. Some more. This, this, is, this is where he tells Carl he's going to kill him and eat him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and he, he kills Carl by like hanging him from a chain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's fucking brutal. Just brutal. That's what brutal. I wrote down. Um, Having seen point, the news, the, Hans figures out that Holly is John's wife and takes her hostage. Yeah, that's right. The, the FBI uh, are, are riding in in like helicopters with like as, as, with helicopter gunships. This is a really solid. Uh, and <laughs> Johnson says to Johnson, "It's just like fucking Saigon." Uh, to which Johnson says, "I was in junior high, dickhead." And thus we once again, <laughs> right? Like we. Collective, collective traumas, anxieties. We we ease them from the American psyche with jokes, right? So we've already done that for Rising Sun. Now we do that for Vietnam. Mm-hmm. This is the movie which really buries Vietnam again. Is I was in junior high, dickhead. Like it's it, it's not just like we felt bad about it and now we don't anymore. No one cares. It's yeah, it's like who gives no one shit, cares man. anymore, and it's mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the FBI sort of like see John on the roof, try to kill him. John uh, hoods the, the hostages assholes. is off the roof as the roof blows mm. up. He wraps a fire hose around his waist and jumps off. Um, oh, fuck that. Yeah, fuck yeah, yeah fuck it's cool. That. It's no, cool fucking sequence. Yeah. The FBI chopper gets blown up too. Um, mm-hmm. And John manages to shoot his way back into the tower where Hans is making his escape with the bonds and with Holly. My notes yeah. here say, release my and- wife. <laughs> he 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 like he tapes a pistol with his last two bullets to his back with Christmas tape. Um, and, and then sort of like yeah, surrenders himself. And he... We get our sort of a high noon duel here, and he he like he tells Hans, "You'd have made a pretty good cowboy yourself." Um, and but we see that like masculinity and American sort of nationality are like wrapped up together, and they're referential because uh, Gruber says, "You you know uh, John Wayne and Grace Kelly or uh, Grace Kelly, whatever, aren't going to like ride off into the sunset together." He's referencing High Noon, I believe, and uh, McLean says. That's Gary Cooper, asshole. Which is like that—that's fucking, you know, it's pure Tarantino there, right? Like American, American sort of masculinity and violence and nationalism all tied in with knowing these movies, right? And because Gruber is an outsider, he doesn't fucking know High Noon. He doesn't even remember it was Gary Cooper, uh, and he is punished for this with uh, his boy getting shot and then getting shot. And at the last moment, he clings on to the Rolex. That uh, is fucking symbolizing uh, Holly's like uh, sort of independence like, tie to... from John. Yes, and yeah, to, like Ellis, feminism yeah. and Ellis and Takagi. Another thing and that's worth the... noting is that um, Alan Rickman also delivers the line "Yippee Kaye, motherfucker," but it's like intentionally yes. ridiculous coming out of his mouth. Yes, which, yes. which all goes towards the same sort of like you're not masculine, you're European, you fool. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, th- like, the, McLean, like, releases the watch trap, and the watch and Alan Rickman 
go into the sort of the, the wild blue yonder and, and drop off the tower. And of course, I very famously, really like... uh, Alan Rickman was told they yes. would count to three before they released him and they only counted to two and he was very upset. <laughs> this is one of my favorite <laughs> things you can baby. do to I had actor. to mention that when on the it... do not do this to actors. I had to mention this on the podcast do do because if you do not do this, you have funny. because if I hadn't mentioned it, then we would have got a million people telling us about it. In, um, in, in, oh, I'm in sure we'll have a million show. people telling us about things we missed about Die Hard and I'd just like to head that off by saying I don't care. Thanks. In, in in the TV show uh, Treme, uh, which is set in New Orleans, they have a, a scene where the food critic and piece of shit, um, uh, uh, I think Adam Richman, has like a, a Sazerac, a, a cocktail thrown in his face. And the way they got that take was to tell him, yeah, this take we're just like blocking out. No one's going to throw a drink at you for this one. We'll do it in the next one. And then they throw the drink at him. I love doing that to actors. I think it's funny. It's I funny. Keep doing Don't it. do that to actors. Um, it's very responsible. You could hurt someone by doing this and they'll be very upset. Um, so, uh, but they're sort of John... puppets by the director anyway, so it doesn't really... <laughs> yeah, exactly. John and Holly, John and Holly kiss. Um, John <laughs> meets Al and it's it's yeah they have a big hug yeah big, this is the moment where the music kind of climaxes like this is the big emotional the release moment shit. yeah fuck yeah, the wife the shit like fuck it's the, the wife boys. my notes here say homosociality this is where you meet like your long distance friend for the first time and you're just like yo it's my mm. homie god it's it's that girl mm. I've been chatting to on discord <laughs> mm. this, this is the real romance in the movie it's my kitten whereas so his marriage is more sort of like and more possessive, and yeah, the marriage is a trophy. We see that she she takes his name back, but and this is the sole concession to progressivism, right? Is he he admits that he should support her, and he introduces her by her maiden name. He says Holly Gennaro, and she corrects him and says Holly McLean. So the lesson here is, I guess, try to meet women halfway. But if you do, they will give you everything you wanted in the first place. If you if you just agree to compromise, you won't have to actually do it. And I think this sort of like sets the stage for a lot of the more toxic kinds of masculinity oh, yeah. in the coming decade. Cool. Oh yeah. Um, but there's one thing to note here is that one character has not yet had their apotheosis. Someone is yes. looking at the screen and they're yelling, "Let me bust!" And only one man can be allowed <laughs> to finally bust bullets out of his gun penis and become a real man again. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Al. Sergeant Al Powell. Because uh, Carl is who, alive. Carl emerges with a gun. He's going to shoot everyone. Yep. And Al reflexively Same draws his gun. Immaculate stare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Al draws his gun and shoots him dead. And this is presented as heroic because he's learned from John really, that the real way you be a man is you kill someone on Christmas if Eve. If you kill a child, um, you can actually redeem yeah. yourself by killing an adult afterwards. They don't tell you mm. about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you like if you kill an Austrian man, it balances out. Also, how much stair kick in for this movie that you can drop one of their guns off a blown up building and it doesn't have a scratch on it? Um, Argyle gets a heroic moment, which is worth noting. He like blocks off their escape yeah. route and punches out Theo. Yeah, I did write um, stealth limo about that yeah. scene. Holly punches the reporter. <laughs> That's yeah, right. this is this is another this is thing the scene I want to talk everyone about. Everyone just gets like punched, basically. Go on, sorry. This is this is like the last. It's it's punch massive. Um, mm-hmm. the last yeah. sort of like shot, more or less, is the piece of shit reporter sticks a camera in their faces and is like, "How do you feel?" And Holly punches him. And this is interesting because after he gets punched, he gets laughed at, and then he goes, "Oh, did you get that?" And this is interesting. Women get the ability to do violence but only the kind that humiliates and emasculates. Only the kind that shows you up to be a macho asshole. Not the kind that Women actually hurts committing, 
women committing violence is only ever a joke, whether that's Argyle being like, did your wife beat you up? Or whether that's her punching the, the media dipshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas male violence is like essential to your ability to like feel self-respect, which is why um, I'm very excited to announce the modern 2023 remake of Die Hard uh, with me as Hans Gruber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trans Gruber. Real, yes, exactly. Thank you very much. Trans- we got there in the end. Yeah, we did it, baby. Love track. The car starts here. Let's put the music in. <laughs> oh, happy holidays. From 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 our podcast to yours. From podcast uh, to podcast. No, for real. I think this. Um, I think this film has interesting things to say about masculinity and its relationship to time. Um, doing yes. fucking temporal metaphysics here. We see throughout mm. this that like planning, having a plan, figuring things out, knowing where you're going. That's gay shit. Don't do that. John McClane yes. doesn't have a plan. Real men don't have plans. They just fucking react in the moment. Don't think about things. Just instinctively do shit. I thought that was interesting to note. It's also it's also spatially contained. Every shot that John's in until the end of the movie, it's like the last shot is, is him and him and Holly in like an open shot. He's constrained by some element of that framing. He's like in a door frame, or he's like shoved off to one side of the screen, or he's in a vent. Uh, it's it's constrained in that sense. It's wounded. Uh, you can get into some real bodies and spaces shit about like John McClane's body, and it's sort of like various like. Impositions and violations like and all death. of that. You can you can read a lot of essays about that if you wanted to. Um, but most of all, we have a science-based system on this podcast it's called the Scum System. Sure. Uh, and we're applying it to Die Hard because I guess this isn't technically a bonus episode. It's a Christmas episode. Yeah, and also um, I I think this probably won't be the last time we visit the Die Hard franchise. So no, I no, think it will be not. useful to have we, a base. We have at least four more Christmases to get through. Oh, uh, yeah. Die Hard oh, I like <laughs> Die Hard 4.0, and I think that also has interesting things to about oh. What do we think about Smarm for this film? What do we think about Smarm? What do we think about Smarm? I was always more partial to Roy Rogers with the sequin shirt. Seven. I don't think it's a seven, because no. remember when it comes no to way. Smarm, films get points taken off for sincerity, and I do think that some of the Smarm mm. in this is a way of showing us that John is afraid, which I like. Yes. I... Yeah. I, I gotta be honest, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable putting it above like a fucking five, because like there there is a great deal of this movie where like, again, as you said, he's using this to sort of like ease himself more than anything else. Mm. Mm. How about a five? I do a five. Four? Okay, five? Uh, yeah, yeah I do four, five. Four, four. Alright, five it is. Four. Cultural insensitivity. <laughs> um, it, the, the, okay, so the the man, the ideal of manhood that this presents is not racist, but capital letters not racist only really applies to the relationship between black men and white men, right? Uh, it is like you, the viewer of this, are presumed to be a white man, and the lesson you must take from this is you should be nice and respectful to uh, like the various different kinds of black men that exist in the world. This is a lesson uh, that Latino Die Hard 3 will people... also repeat. <laughs> yes, yes. Latino people like, yeah, sort of like I... exist only as undocumented migrants. Women of color, uh, a myth, as far as I'm concerned. Don't exist. Yeah, uh, you know, you shouldn't use racial slurs, but other than that... <laughs> it's, you shouldn't, again, yeah. I mean, that's... I guess that's it, it, it's sort something of, like, of a fair lesson. It is, it is anti-racist in the sense that it tells you 
don't be racist. It, yeah, this is, in the, the, the two, shall like, we say, most, like, people actually being racist are quite textually, like, cunts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. true. It's, also, it's in of, this film, as opposed to Rising Sun, Japanese people just kind of cool and normal. Yeah, they're actually just people, yes. it turns out. We, we yeah. haven't figured that out until the late 80s, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm glad we got there. <laughs> yeah, but we, can, we can make jokes about it. It's sort of, like, necessary but insufficient anti-racism. Um, so, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I would give it, like, a... do on this podcast. Yes. Yeah, genuinely, yes. It. It's, it's, it's making an effort. <laughs> it's nice I, that it's I, trying, God. actually. Do, do we take points Wait, off for that? Like, do you want to go zero? Is I it think the first we time we've ever done that? Sure. You don't want to give it as... Give it a one. <laughs> I'll give it a one, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unprovoked uh, violence. Unpro- <laughs> <laughs> well, he, okay, well, first of all, provoked. our first character, our, our primary character here is John McClane. His first kill is mm. accidental. His second is in self-defense, yep. and his third is is where he starts to just, like, go ape shit. Because, and it's because has, that character to to specifically it. tells him, hey, man, you're going to want to go ape shit in future. Um, yeah. On the other hand, this is also a movie dedicated to rebutting the proposition. There are rules for policemen. Yes, and so, also the child. Also, they do and kill a child, and that's sort of they, yeah. shown to be like fine. Oh, fine, obviously, um, but not like something that someone should be punished for, other than in their own no, head. You shouldn't. Mm-hmm. No, you shouldn't even be punished for it in your own head. You can you just get keep being a cop. You, you can still like... carry a gun. Oh yeah, you're right. No, he's yeah. supposed to just get over it. All right, yeah, fuck this. Fuck this film, actually. <laughs> yeah, last... Do you remember when we did that Jack Ryan film where they killed a bunch of children? Mm-hmm. I recall yeah. that, yes. Yeah. How about a... F- three? Four? I would say four. four. Okie dokie. Um, uh, misogyny. Now, this is interesting, because, like I, I said earlier, I think the thesis of this is if you say that you are willing to compromise, you will never have to. Um which is an interesting sort of defensive fallback line for, for men to, <laughs> mm. to go to. And one that proved very successful for them, still does to this day, is like, I'm being reasonable. I'm, I'm giving you the appearance of everything you want. Why are you mad at me? Call their bluff on um, that shit, girls. Just be like, yeah, okay, cool. I'll yes. take what you, what you said you do for me now. And they're like, what? Yeah, do it. It's, 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 <laughs> it, it's a movie about like men responding to feminism by... Having to like sort of like killing each other, which is shoulders. great. They're doing it for us. Yeah, and and by like shrugging their shoulders and being like, Jesus, this California shit, crazy. Yeah, whatever, I guess. Yeah. Um, which is not the worst way you can respond to a world changing around you. It's not the best either. I don't um, like that she's like, oh, actually, I'm Holly McLean at the end. I'm like, uh, I believe no. it in the sense of romance, but it's just, it's interesting to make a film masculinity. about masculinity and pretend you don't have anything to say about femininity. And then it reasserts itself through violence very clearly at the end. Perhaps the most clearly of any film we've done. Oh, indeed. Um, so, finally, I, I would. What does this movie say? Um, we haven't given it a score. Christmas. Uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> I, I would say four. Four. Mm. Say four. Uh, that gives it a total score uh, of uh, fourteen, which is pretty darn good. Um, yeah, I mean, especially it's like kind of right. on a par with the later Daniel Craig's. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty decent, I'd say. A good a good start for, for Die Hard. Yeah, and like on a par with some of the Jack Ryan's, where James Bond was doing License to Kill, right? <laughs> uh, Which yeah, had twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, pretty pretty strong opening more, bid from Die Hard. More progressive than Product X. More progressive than a comparable James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What does this movie say about Christmas? Nothing. Fuck I don't off. care. Fuck say you. Shit. Have a wonderful holiday season. Yeah, for real. Thank you. Do we want to return. say anything? Do we want to have disincerities on? It's the last one of the I, year. I would say... We can yeah, do I would say the thing is, right, because we did the winter of content, which mm -hmm. was Dev's idea and a brilliant oh, idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the fact that we told hundreds of people, you have no economic reason to give us money, and people still did, which I like because uh, it means I can pay my rent, mm -hmm. that's genuinely touching. That's genuinely been like a huge sort of like emotional thing for me. It's like, wait a second, people fucking like me and my smarter friends talking about movies enough to like pay actual money when money is getting quite scarce. Um, when we explicitly told them that they don't have to, and they still do it, that's that's really that's really meaningful. So thank you, truly. I think for me, one of my favorite moments of the year came came recently when Nate uh, said that he went to Australia and he met a bunch of trans people who listened to Kill James Bond in New yeah, Zealand. It was, it was in New Zealand. I, and I'm like, wow, that's so cool that like people all over the world listen to this like very silly podcast where we talk I, about cum, like. <laughs> I literally text my like grandmother about that, right? Yeah, like, I yeah. honestly was just like, yo, <laughs> people are listening to me in fucking New Zealand and they're like, so good. Oh, this yeah. guy knows what he's talking about. Your, your, your like his, support really does like mean the world to us. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. Uh, so, so thank you. And I guess all we can say now is that uh, Kill James Bond will return in 2023 with some more man from uncle shit yeah, so i hope some you're more ready for silly that bullshit we're hoping to get my brother on at some point um Fuck my yeah. my Hell real yes. actual like brother um so yeah stay tuned for abigail thorne and a brother uh in the meantime we will, we will see you next year thank you for listening to yet another episode of kill james bond I don't know which one though because we are banking these episodes as we're going away on holiday uh, variously three of us throughout the month of December which means that uh, you will not get a fresh and new jazz outro every time you will get this one uh, for all three episodes um, that are yet to be released in December so Let's crack on so this isn't too annoying to listen to three times. Our £15 and above patrons are Christina Fox, Amanda Comet, Rhea Aloysius, Gustavo Lira, Jack Holmes, Thomas Oberhart, Nick Boris, Kentucky Fried Commie, Yarek, Nata Mori, Harriet DeCock, Corios, Eno Rice, the Commissar formerly known as Jen, Eve Crime, Library Hitman, Callan Burney, Max Gamenhart, Jonathan Gerdes, Jack Drummond, Hell. Kit Devine, Lysamesh, Jay Martindale, Jonathan Siegel, Big Titty Goth Girl, Tarp O, George Rohack, Mothman, Harrison Fuller, Trip, Violet Cybra, Alex, L plus Liz Nash, doing well in Florida. Sorry you Brits are freezing your asses off, we don't have heating bills, so have some dosh. Uh, Paint McCalla, a trans robot, Ronan, Elizabeth Cox, Zoe Shepard, Finn Ross, Two Spy Three Many, Turfs Eat Shit and Die Alone, Win Valeri, Alfredo, and Wolfie. Thank you. Kill James Bond is, of course, Alice, Abigail, and Devon. Our producer is the wonderful Nate Bethay. Our podcast art is by Matty Luchansky, and our website is by Tom Allen. See ya. <laughs>